Welcome to February of 2020. Is that stupid? It's crazy. It's February of 2020. Man, that's, uh, that's baffling to me. And it's also a beautiful day today. It's Groundhog's Day. Is it Groundhog's or Groundhog? Hog or is it? Not a... Um, I apologize for the uh, question that totally lacks in relevance. Um, but it's a beautiful day. Um, anyway, so this morning, and actually this whole series, you see the, the, the image behind me, and it's around the, the auditorium and the building, that gospel-shaped mission is, is what we're thinking about and what we're talking about. And we're going to use this familiar story of Jesus and the woman at the well to help us to understand what it looks like to be on mission with this gospel-shaped mission in the way that Christ was. But I want to make sure that we don't miss this point, and, and it was in my prayer too, I want to make sure we don't miss it, is that this morning is not just about us understanding the mission that God has called us to. It's also understanding that we are the mission of Christ. You, you are Jesus' mission. So, I, like, this is going to give us, like, direction for how to live our lives, but what I don't want us to miss while we're looking for that is the fact that, that Jesus sought after us and gave his life for you. Um, so I want you to put yourself both in a position of, of Jesus and in a position of the woman at the well. Uh, before I get into this, to the story, I, I, wanna, I did this uh, two weeks ago when I, we launched this, mission, this gospel-shaped mission thing. And it's in your bulletin. If you have it, it's also on the screen as well. Just so that we're, we're clear, what I mean to communicate when I say gospel and shaped and mission, here are those definitions, and they're in your bulletin as well. First, gospel. Jesus died and was raised so that we could be in relationship with God the way we were intended. This is not of your, nothing of your own doing. It's only the grace, love, and mercy of Jesus. It's not a list of rules to follow. It's not a religion. It's simply news about what Jesus has done. That's the point. Whenever I say gospel, and, and I, I say gospel here all the time, whenever I say gospel, this is, is what it means. And Jesus died and rose again so that we could be with God the way we were intended to be with God. Back Adam and Eve, pre-sin, pre-fall, in the garden, there was this beautiful, perfect, pure relationship between God and Adam and Eve, God and man. And that's the way we were intended to live. And nothing that we've done to get us back to that point, only the grace and love and mercy of Christ. So when I say gospel, that's what I mean. It's not, it's not a religion. It's not a faith. It's not a church. It's not anything. It's just news. Shaped. We work from acceptance and forgiveness and not for acceptance and forgiveness. Do you see the difference? We don't work for it. We work from it. It's ours. We own it as a possession. And if we do, if we have that understanding, it changes everything. It changes our relationships, our serving, our church, our worldview, our politics. It changes everything about you when you realize that the only thing that you have that's of any value is, was brought to you by Christ and, and nothing that you did it has to change the way that you view everything, all of your relationships, what you do in the church, how you serve, how you, you engage with the world, how you engage with the culture, how you engage with 
uh, with politics, how you engage parenting, and all of those things, it's shaped by a, a real understanding of the gospel. So that's gospel and shaped. And then mission, it's the purpose for which we live, how we live our lives, our set of priorities for living as an individual, as a church, as a family, in a work environment, in a neighborhood, how you live, it's your set of priorities that, that show up there. Your mission is the answer to the question, why am I here? Um, and like, I, sometimes I, I think a little deeply, so I ask myself that question a lot. Why, why am I here? Why is my last name what it is? Why is my job what it is? Why, why is my church what it is? Why, why do I parent these children, these children? Why am I a wife or a husband to Jen? And why am I friends with all of you? Why am I here? Ultimately, the answer to that question is my mission. Sometimes we get it twisted and our mission becomes something aside from being shaped by the gospel. It becomes shaped by fun. It becomes shaped, shaped by religion. It becomes shaped by politics. It became shaped by, by a myriad of different things. But this series, and, and I think most of scripture is teaching us that our mission is to be shaped by the gospel. So that's the gospel-shaped mission. And this image uh, that that's on the whiteboard here kind of helps us to, to point in, in that direction and get our mind there. And, and we're going to talk about all three of these, but the, one, the big black one here in the middle is the way it's intended to be and what's on the screen as well. Gospel, culture, and church on this triangular movement. So we have the gospel. We begin to understand the gospel. We begin to be shaped by the gospel and all that stuff that I just said. And then we impose that line of thinking, that way that we understand the gospel and the way that we understand how we're shaped by the gospel. And we impose that thought process onto the culture. So the culture around us is shaped by how we've been shaped by the gospel. All right? And in this story is a perfect illustration of what it means to be to try to shape the culture with the gospel, right? And then what happens is we have a, a gospel-shaped culture that we impose in the church. So we become a church full of people who've been gospelized. So the gospel is imposed on the culture, and then that creates a culture, and we impose that gospel-created culture onto the church. And perfect world is we, we're a church that, is, that's, that, that lives there. And then we remind ourselves once again of the gospel, and this continually happens over and over again. Errors that we make are what's on the other sides of this main one in the middle here, and they're in blue. So we can tend to put the culture on top, and we sacrifice to the culture. We, uh, the culture decides what we do, how we live. We, we can live a, a culture-shaped mission, and that we want to do everything that the culture tells us to do. And when we do that, we impose that idea that the culture is king, the culture is the God, the culture is the thing that we want to sacrifice to, and then we impose that on the gospel, and the gospel becomes something that it's not. Or on the other side, the church becomes the God, we become a, have a church-shaped mission, and we impose that onto the culture. And, and what happens there is if you don't believe the way that I believe and dress the way that I dress and listen to what I listen to and watch what I watch and vote how I vote, then you're not welcome to be in this place. And that's an error. And I'm, we're going to see here uh, in just a second how Jesus 
gets this right. So, um, John chapter 4, we're just going to start with the 5 through 8. Um, it says this, So he came, this is Jesus, he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, don't miss that. Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, Jesus got tired. Um, Jesus was a human being who suffered and sacrificed just like we suffer and sacrifice. He was wearied because he was walking for a long time. And he was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Um, I want you to, to see something here for just a second. Um, this is, if the culture had been on top and Jesus' world, he would not have spoken to this woman. Because culture told Jesus in this, in this point, she's from Samaria, you're not supposed to talk to her. She's a woman, you're not supposed to talk to her. That's what culture told Jesus to do. If Jesus had been shaped by his culture, he would not have engaged with her. Church, the religion, Judaism, would have said, we are at war with those people. You cannot speak with her. She's a woman. You're supposed to be this rabbi teacher. You're not allowed to, to talk to her. Don't engage with her in a one-on-one -on -one personal level. If church had been on top, that's how he would have responded. But for Christ, the gospel is on top. He engages with the woman exactly where she is. Uh, and it's, it's beautiful. Uh, I want to say two things here, too. Um, hit that next slide, if you would, Brooklyn. Uh, Jesus is orchestrating circumstances to get alone with you. I, want, I wish I was better at this, because I would give you this brilliant pause to think about. Jesus is orchestrating events, circumstances, to get alone with you. Not just that, but he's seizing opportunities to engage you with his love. This is your Jesus. And this is where like the, the point of this sermon series that we're in is to help lead us to be shaped by the gospel. And that be the thing that sends us out to go and engage with our world, the gospel. And that's the point of this series. But here, don't miss this, that Jesus, just like he orchestrates and manipulates events to get alone with this woman, he is orchestrating and manipulating events to get alone with you and seizing those opportunities to show you that he loves you. The king of the universe, the most beautiful thing to ever exist, Christ, is manipulating circumstances to show you, to prove to you how much he loves you. And as we go on, it gets a little bit better. Um, verse 9. 
The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? I already talked about that. Like, culture and church on top would not have allowed for this to happen, and it blew her mind. By the way, when you live a gospel-shaped mission and you engage with people who have been hurt or burned by the church or have been put into the margins by the church, this is typically the reaction. Wait a second. How is it that you, a Christian, ask, engage with me? That's essentially what she's saying. For, in the parentheses there, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And, and that's rooted strictly on race. Jews, for racial reasons, don't engage with Samaritans. But Jesus, bucking the culture and bucking the church, says this. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Um, I want you to see the, the beauty of that. This woman is consumed with the physical and water. Like, we need water to exist. We need water. We need a drink. We need it to, to wash. We need it to cook. We need water everywhere. Like, it's, it's an important thing. But Christ pauses in the middle of this conversation and says to her, what I have, who I am, satisfies every longing of your heart. Have you ever been really thirsty? Like really thirsty? And then had a nice big glass of water? Like it's just, it, for me, like when I'm thirsty, I get like, like you don't really want to be around me because I'm not a nice person when I'm thirsty and I've got to have something to drink. But then when I have a nice big tall glass of water, and just, like, it, 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 like it, it changes stuff about me. And this is where, where Jesus is going here. Um, the woman said, verse 11, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Verse 12, Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself as he did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. Um, Jesus again is being shaped by the gospel and, and is, is engaging this woman not He's talking about her physical needs, but ultimately he's, he's driving deeper than that to her spiritual needs, which is what the gospel attacks. And, and if you, you see um, these two pieces here, the church on top and the culture on top, ultimately the errors that are made are we're putting the physical on top instead of the, the spiritual on top. Um, Trying to go slow because I want to get to this punchline, but it's, it's important for us 
to see all, all of the, the fullness of, of this encounter that Christ has with her. And, and again, it's not just um, this is Jesus showing us how to be on mission, but it's also Jesus in, in direct pursuit of, of you. Jesus is in direct pursuit of you. And it's that, if, if we really understand that Christ is in direct pursuit of us at all times. He's trying to get our minds off of the physical, like he is with this woman, and onto the spiritual to, that we might see him as the end, the, the goal, the, the hero, the only thing that matters in this world. If we would see him as such, that has to change us to, to allow us to go and be sent with this gospel in the world. Everything that Christ did is about imposing the gospel on you. And when we see that, it changes us that everything about us is about imposing the gospel on the people around us, mostly ourselves. Um, I've been give you a warning here. I didn't plan to say this, so I don't know where it's going to go. Um, and I do this a lot, and sometimes it winds up bad. Um, I've been uh, when I've been engaging with with counseling. My wife and I go to counseling every couple of weeks or so, and the last couple of sessions have been like centered around around me, and and it makes me really uncomfortable. And because I'm supposed to be in in her chair, not in mine, I'm supposed to be the one that that's doing the counseling, not being counseled. Um, and uh, it's, it's been eye-opening and, and hard, but what, what I've begun to see is that I'm really good at showing you how to apply the gospel to your life. I'm really bad at showing me how to apply the gospel to my life. And, and I think that's what's driving me to want to hammer this point of the big picture of the series, gospel-shaped mission, how you go and apply the gospel in your context. But don't miss the fact that Christ is here specifically engaging with this woman and Christ is here specifically engaging with you, manipulating circumstances to get you to the place where you might see how much he loves you and what he's done for you. And you might rest in the fullness of who he is. Um, back to verse, verse 15. Uh, yeah, it's still on the screen. <clears throat> the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, the water that will spring up to eternal life that will make me never thirst again, so that I will not have to be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She doesn't understand. Uh, go, go back to, to 15, Brooklyn. Um, so she doesn't understand this. And I want you to, like this is, I'm, I'm, totally and directly preaching to myself. You guys could all leave if you want. 
and I'll still be here talking. Because, the, like, look at verse 15. The woman, like, Jesus has encountered her in a way that she knows, like, they both know he's not supposed to be talking to her for racial reasons and religious reasons, for cultural reasons and church reasons. They both know she's not supposed to be talking to her, but he's talking to her. They both know that his disciples are supposed to be there, but Jesus sent them away. They both know that this is not supposed to be happening, but it's happening. And then Jesus turns the physical into the spiritual and says, I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you myself. And if you have me, you'll never thirst again. And she takes it right back to this physical thing. Sir, give me this water that I will not have to be thirsty again. I have to come here to drink. And she just doesn't understand. Like the gospel is right in front of her. The human being that is the gospel is right in front of her, and he's spoken very plainly to her, and she doesn't understand, just like I just confessed to you, and, and just like I think you, we all live in this place where the gospel is literally right in front of us. Jesus is the gospel, and he's right in front of her, and she doesn't understand. Jesus then turns it, in verse 16, Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying you have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Um, I want you to know this, that Jesus knows everything about you. He knows all of your sin and still chooses to pursue you with his love. This, there are a lot of incredible, beautiful things in the scriptures, but I think this one may be among my favorite. Because all that goes around it, the church and the culture tell Jesus not to engage with this woman. But Jesus manipulates all of the circumstances so that he could be alone with her. And not just that, she is the one who should have, like, it was her, so Jesus shouldn't have engaged with her because she was a female. Jesus should not have engaged with her because she was Samaritan. And, and that seems to be pretty obvious for us, that that's wrong. That she's done nothing to be a Samaritan and she's done nothing to be a woman. It's obvious to us to, that we should not do that. But her sin are her choices. The, the lifestyle that she's chosen, the lifestyle that she's living, her sin... It's very real, and, and I don't want to, I want to be very clear about the fact that to have five husbands and to live with someone who is not your husband, in the mind of Christ, in the, in the scriptures, that is sin, and it's, it's wrong, and it's in error, but none of that stops Jesus from engaging with this woman, and this is the the. the perfect picture of what it means to live a gospel-shaped mission, to not let culture and church keep you from engaging with people 
But also, more than that, the more beautiful, gospel-centric, Christ-like thing here is to also not allow the sin of another person to engage them. And here's where it gets even, even deeper. That's the gospel-shaped mission piece. But the, the gospel-shaped mission of Jesus is you. And this is the best thing that you'll hear in your entire life. That your sin does not keep Jesus from engaging with you. And that's beautiful. And if that's real, if that's reality, that your sin does not keep Jesus from engaging with you, if that's reality, then that has to change the way that we view every human being and every soul that we ever come into contact with. And, and race and gender are obvious, but sin is not so obvious. And race and gender, especially where we live and the culture that we live in, that's easy to say. That's wrong. But the sin piece is hard. And it's not just to see someone that's in sin and engage with them, but also somehow in Jesus' incredible nature of who he is, he's, he shows her that she, like, what she is doing is sinful and wrong and don't do it. Like for us, for me sometimes, it's, it's, it's easy for me to love someone who is in the middle of sin. It's hard for me to call out what they're doing as sin. But Jesus doesn't. He doesn't play around with sin because she's looking for something to satisfy her that can't satisfy her, and Jesus knows it, and that's why he starts talking about he, he is the living water. He is the one. He is the end. What if we saw every soul that we ever encountered the way that Jesus sees this woman and doesn't allow race or gender to play into her, his engagement with her? but also doesn't allow her sin to play into his engagement with her, but also doesn't allow fear or discomfort or whatever to not call out, stop, don't do that anymore. Um, skip down to verse 25. The end of the conversation is here in verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. I need to do a little history lesson for you really quickly. I've done this before, but I'll be repetitive. The Messiah, the Christ, it's the same. Messiah is a Hebrew word and Christ is a Greek word, but it's the same word that means the one who God has promised for all time to set things right. This woman is religious enough to know that someday a promised Savior is coming, the Messiah, the Christ, and he's going to make everything right. She says, I know that there's a promised person that's coming. When he comes, he will tell us all things. This is right after Jesus had just told her all things. 
I know that the Christ is coming, the Messiah is coming, and he will tell us all things. Verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So, like I want to make, I want to end with this being personal for us. Sin, race, gender, lifestyle, a lot of stuff. It's February 2020 and it's confusing. All of this is happening. Jesus is orchestrating all of these events, manipulating events, making things happen to bring you, not the woman at the well, not Rick, not the person next to you, to bring you to this place where you might see him as God's ultimate and final promise fulfilled. And he loves you. And he, he cares about your sin, but it doesn't change his love for you. In fact, it compels his love for you to take that sin away from you. This is your Jesus, and he's, he's right in front of manipulating events. Allowing things to happen, causing things to happen, bringing you to this place where he might say to you, I love you. I am your Messiah. And if that's true, it has to change the way that we see the world. Um, let's, let's pray. God, thank you. Lord, I, I pray, I pray in these moments that, um, God, everybody here knows what we're about to do. We're about to sing songs and we're about to start thinking about the rest of our day. But Lord, I pray in the stillness and poignancy of these next few moments, Lord, would, would we have an encounter with your son Jesus God may we put away our sin as you have put away our sin and may we understand that you have crafted this moment so that we might see you God, allow us to rest and, and, and just bask in your goodness and your love and your sovereignty in your gospel. God, thank you for Jesus. God, may we be alone with Jesus right now. 
thank you for Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen.